Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and Nick are back with a new episode with special guest Nick Sosiak, Chief Financial Officer at Canera Biotech, a vertically integrated producer of premium grade cannabis and cannabis derived products in Quebec. As the CFO of Canera, Nicholas is responsible for overseeing the company's finances and is a key decision maker in all facets of operations, from genetics selection, marketing and branding, product formulations, sales, investor relations, and public relations. In this episode, our hosts explore the Quebec market and what makes it unique in comparison to other Canadian provinces. Nick from Canera also walks us through why Canera's business model focuses on cultivation rather than CPG, why flour remains king among product categories, and how his team is building immense brand loyalty despite strict marketing regulations. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Nick Sosiak of Canero Biotech. And we're here today with Nick Sosiak, CFO of Canera Biotech based out of Canada. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Um, before we get started talking about Canera, can you give our audience some background about yourself? You went from accounting into cannabis, um, so we would love to you know, explore your background and what interested you to join the industry. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, so I'm a CPA, a chartered professional accountant here in, uh, in Canada. Uh, I got my uh, CPA designation in Quebec. Uh, I did my schooling uh, in Concordia. Um, I got my bachelor's of uh, accounting at Concordia, and then I um, I did my CPA degree at McGill. Um, I was uh, I was in uh, the accounting industry, so I worked at various uh, audit firms as part of the uh, the onboarding process of becoming a CPA. You have to do uh, internships, uh, so I did a bunch of them uh, in um, in audit firms, the big three audit firms like KPMG, uh, Ernst and Young. Uh, and, uh, that allowed me just to see a bunch of different industries. So I worked in, uh, you know, forestry, I worked in mining, I worked in real estate. Um, and when I was towards, uh, they go through different, uh, levels. And when I was, uh, called the senior auditor, uh, I was working for a real estate company or my client was a real estate company. And, uh, I decided to join them as, uh, as controller. Uh, and worked my way up as VP finance for this real estate company. Uh, they were called Dundee 360 Real Estate Corporation. That was pretty interesting. They had a bunch of real estate projects uh, across the globe in Cuba, in uh, in um, in Croatia, um, and as well as some local projects in Quebec and in Canada, like the Queen Elizabeth, the Royal York in Ontario, uh, the Park Casino in Vancouver. So it was very exciting. It got me uh, it got me a lot of experience in, you know, financing these big uh, projects, uh, really the business side of things. Um, but before all that, I, I'm just, I love cannabis. I have a passion for cannabis. Uh, cannabis is in my, is in my ethos. So, uh, you know, I, I just love the culture. I love learning about the culture. I love learning about genetics. I love, uh, I love a product. 
it's just something that passions uh it gives me a lot of passion and uh, i don't know where the quote came but when you're when you uh when you can merge your passion and work it just doesn't feel like work anymore and that was always on my mind and uh, so i started uh it, when i saw uh legalization of cannabis occurring in in canada uh i was i was I was more on a, on an investor point of view. So I was, I was choosing my horses, finding the right companies to, to that I believed in. And I quickly saw that, you know, none of them were, were rowing in the right direction. So uh, I told myself, you know what, I have to get in this industry. I'm willing to demote myself from VP finance to staff accountant uh, and fly across the country uh, to get into this company, uh, to get into any company and, and, and show what I can do. Um, but thankfully, I didn't have to move too far. Um, Canara was uh, was getting created by our CEO, Zohar Kriverat, uh, here in Quebec. He bought a, a 625,000 square foot uh, indoor facility uh, in Farnham, Quebec in 2018. Uh, and then they went public on the CSC uh, under the ticker LOVE. Uh, in 2019. Such an amazing ticker to get. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so Buy yeah. some love, folks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, we we got the ticker and they, they went public and, and that's when I got the phone call. I was like, um, I'll join you as an accountant. Uh, before they went public, I'll join your account. Just get me on your on your staff. Um, but then when they went public, they realized that they they did need actually somebody to to you know make the books and do the financial statements and all that. So I got the call and got hired as VP Finance in 2019. And I just, I took, I built that division. I, I took finance. I, I spent a good seven months in it. I built the ERP systems. I hired the right people. And I, I just got that department running like a Swiss clock. And then I just started getting into operations, marketing strategy, genetics, product formulations, A to Z in the, in, in, you know, in, in the whole process. I'm the one that bought the trimmers for our first trimmers, uh, designed the, the hanging rooms, uh, built uh, our product for our hash, our hash lab. Um, so I, I just, now that I got finance out of the way and I still see oversee finance as CFO, uh, but call it 98% of my work right now is, is strategy, building the company and building the processes, marketing, branding, um, and all that. So, uh, so that's why you're really tired. <laughs> that's why I'm really tired. Exactly. Um, before we uh, dive into the specifics of Canera, I want us to, you know, w w Nick and I were talking, Nick Opich and I were talking, um, before we started here, you guys are the first Quebec company, um, that we have ever had on the podcast. And I think, um, you know, our, our audience is largely investors and our audience is largely American investors. So, um, when we think of Canada as Americans, we think of it as this like monolith and it is very much not a monolith, just like the United States aren't. So I think, um, the provincial, um, rules and regulations are, are very interesting and very, very interesting when it comes to Quebec itself. So I'm wondering if you can give our listeners kind of an overall snapshot of, of what the province is like, um, because I think a lot of people just think Toronto and British Columbia and Kelowna and like all of these other regions, and they don't necessarily think specifically about that province. So can you give our listeners a snapshot? Absolutely. So Quebec is very unique. Um, I mean, in all aspects, uh, but let's focus on the cannabis industry and the cannabis market in Quebec. Uh, we're very unique in how we operate. Um, and that comes from our conservatism, uh, our extra uh, precaution on protecting consumers and children and all that from a health standpoint. So we put in these barriers in place to really, really make sure that, you know, 
the health side of things are protected much more than the rest of the the provinces in in Canada. And the biggest thing is is promotion and advertising. Like we're not allowed at all to promote or advertise uh, our products. Um, you cannot go to uh, compared to Ontario and I mean pretty much any industry. You go into the retail stores and you're able to promote your product or you're able to talk about your product to the uh, bud tenders that are selling your product. Um, and unfortunately, that's not uh, that's not the case. So, you, I mean, there is uh, interactions with bud tenders, but it's more formal. It's more uh, there's a process to it. So um, it's very uh, highly regulated. Um, but with that and the language barrier. So one big differentiation is in Quebec, we operate in French. All the documents are French. Communications are in French. So uh, that's a big challenge for LPs that are, don't have that. Um, don't have that uh, skill set um, because it is challenging to get through uh, and all the business is done in French, right? Um, so coupling that uh, with what I just explained, um, it, it, there's extreme high barriers of entry uh, into Quebec. And that's why we don't see a lot of LPs here in Quebec. There's only, I think last time I checked about 20, uh, so 37 LPs uh, currently uh, selling into Quebec. Um, so that's, that's, that there's really high barriers of entry and, and it, it also gives, you know, a potential first mover advantages for companies that are built in Quebec, like our, ourselves. Right. Um, so given that it's, you know, it's fully controlled by the government, I mean, some provinces are hybrid models, but I think we're the only province that is really fully, fully controlled. So, uh, you know, the wholesale channels, the retail channels, all the retail stores are, uh, created uh, by the government, they're employed. Uh, they're employed by the government, um, so it's very. It's much more strict. And what's the universe of stores? How many are there? There's about 85 stores across the province, and we're 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 growing. I mean, uh, before I, last year we were at 50, and now it's 80. They're on track for 110 uh, right now. Um, but really, the uh, the uh, the. The, the benefit, I guess, in saying of, of all this is that because, because of all these challenges, there there's creates this first mover advantage and these barriers of entry, but it also gives us um, an ability to distribute and lock our distribution without much marketing um, if our product quality and our, our proposition is, is has a high value enough, right? Um, so we built that product, right? We, we built that high value. We started in Quebec. We, we focused on that because we knew we were first movers. We, we had this opportunity to, to control basically Quebec, which is the second largest uh, market in uh, Canada. Uh, I believe uh, we grew in 2019, we're about $240 million of revenue and we're at 537 million uh, as of 2021. Wow. So, so, so we're the second, second biggest largest in, in Canada. Like think about that for a second. And it's so, I feel like it's so under the radar. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's why you're no here. And the biggest thing is French, right? Like yeah. people really have that. They don't want to learn French, right? I mean, we don't want to learn languages that, that like try to learn Rosetta Stone, a new language. And it, it, your mind just goes, okay, I, don't, I can't do it. You know, you can do rocket science, you can do everything else, but for languages, sometime at one point in our lives, it just doesn't work anymore. So I think that's, you know, it just becomes a challenge, right? And uh, people are not willing to uh, overcome that challenge. There's some LPs that are smart. Uh, well, smart. Well, well, they 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 did acquire LPs uh, in, in Quebec, basically buying the, the the competencies and the distribution network to get into Quebec. But uh, you have to still maintain that. It, uh, we're very, you know, we're very protected. We we like people that are built in Quebec, made in Quebec. So you have to show that you know Quebec and you know we're we're really different too. So. Um, 
you know, being Canara, being focused, our strategy was focused on Quebec because we saw the it was the second biggest market in Canada. There's only 27, 37 producers in the market. We were built in Quebec, we're made in Quebec. Uh, we had that true opportunity to, to cater our 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 products and our branding and everything to Quebec. And you know, we we gave a super high value proposition. Uh, you know, our, our products three and a half is 24 uh, $24 and 20 cents while the competitor's product for half the quality was at like $35, $39. So it really turned over the market and, and in Quebec. And now like we, we, we sell, you know, we sell all our stock every week because, uh, because it's, it's that high of a value proposition. Um, and then another tip, like that's from the consumer standpoint and distribution standpoint, but being in Quebec gives us the lowest cost of electricity and the lowest cost of labor in the country, which is the two largest uh, cost inputs for manufacturing a cannabis. So from an LP standpoint, this gives us another huge benefit uh, because we're able to offer those pricing and that competitive pricing to two competitors, uh, sorry, to, to, to the market. Um, so, so that's, that's our strategy. I mean, we've, we've catered to Quebec and now, um, we're, we're growing. We just bought another facility and now we're, we're trying to move the rest into the rest of Canada. Yeah. I have to imagine that, you know, taking that hyper focus on, on the region you guys are in is going to build a, a lot of brand loyalty amongst your customers. And as that spreads out, like as you guys grow into, you know, different provinces and stuff like does Absolutely. That the brand loyalty is it's, it's very high. You go on our social media, you go on the SQDC Quebec social medias, it was, I mean, they created memes of our product. Uh, like the, 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 the pages were full when we launched, it was full, full, full. I mean, after a year in market, we, you go onto the social media network, you'll see, uh, you know, at least one to two posts a day, positive posts about our product. You walk into the SQDC, you say, you know, tribal, they're like, yep, tribal's the best product here. Uh, you know, orchid. <laughs> yep. It's the best product here. You know, nuts. Yep. It's the best product here. Um, and that's without doing marketing, right? That's without any marketing. That's just, natural um belief in the product right and, and, let, and let's use that to dive into canera because you, you've given us a great overview of, of the market that you guys are sitting in and, and kind of what makes you guys unique um but tell our listeners like where where do you guys sit within the the landscape what makes like you were talking about in the beginning nick that you know you were looking at the the market all around and looking for an LP to work with and, and Canera stood out to you as somebody that you guys wanted to work with. Can you, can you, you know, expand more on that? Yeah. So the reason why I chose Canera, uh, it was when I chose Canera was really early on, but it was a, it was like a blank slate, right? It was a blank slate. Um, our CEO knew had a mission to create a premium cannabis. So he didn't go to buy a, a greenhouse or an outdoor facility. He went to go buy an indoor facility and knew that he wanted to create premium cannabis and knew that he uh, had to do it in an indoor setting. Um, so when I saw when I found the company and I, I knew that that was his direction, um, but the rest wasn't built yet. It was still too early on. Um, it was a perfect opportunity to to really mold and shape the company. Right. Um, and then working with the company, I mean, we went through our challenges. We went through changeovers and all that. But where we are at today is, you know, myself and the CEO really like moving the company. Um, my CEO, you know, he's not a cannabis guy, doesn't smoke cannabis, but when he put his first plant in the facility and saw it grow and started learning about it, he, he found a passion for growing cannabis. He, he became a green thumb. Uh, our CEO is in the facility seven days a week um, overseeing the operation. 
Um, and that's what lends to our quality, right? Having somebody that cares so much that's vested in the operation day in, day out, um, overseeing the whole operation, making sure that each cannabis plant comes out as quality cannabis, and then being able to mimic that into another facility or having that competency at that at the top level, and then being able to implement that into a new facility, which I'll get into. Um, that's what really like, I think changes our, our, our product at the end. And then, you know, my introduction of just knowing the cannabis world and cannabis culture and, uh, you know, we call ourselves headies. Uh, we, we just really like the cannabis culture and, um, and that I, you know, I'm a, and I'm a businessman at heart. I'm an accountant CPA. So I'm able to merge that culture. I'm able to merge that finance discipline, business discipline. And then you have our CEO who loves the plants, uh, has the bench strength to, to make things happen. Um, I think that's what that's where led Canara to where we are uh, today. And, you know, we, we stuck to our guns. We knew we wanted to cultivate ourselves. We knew we want to cultivate premium cannabis. So none of our brands have ever had any other uh, any other producers cannabis inside our brands. We only produce our own cannabis and we and all our brands are high value props uh, propositions. So high quality, extremely nice packaging and e extremely affordable. Um, so, and, and can you walk, our, walk us through the that brands that you guys built. have? Uh, sorry, that? sorry, I was saying, I was saying, can you walk us through the brands that you have? You, you've mentioned them a couple of times, but they're, they're targeted for different customers, right? Yeah, absolutely. So my first brand is tribal. Um, and tribal is really that sophisticated, uh, uh, cannabis brand. So it targets both the cannabis connoisseur or the entry level, given the price. Right. Um, so really the, the brand is, is, is is has that culture in it um but but the price allows it to to to, to cater to any market and it, it introduces you know new entrants to the culture um without being too uh because when you go into cannabis there's you know there's a lot of culture into it there's more of the funner and the you know i, I guess uh they call it trippier um uh kind of uh, <laughs> uh brand messaging uh and then and then you have more you know what's cannabis about? What is it about? It's really about the THC, the terpenes, the, 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 the genetics, where they come from that exploration uh, point of view. Right. And, and that's where tribal comes from. It's really trying to bring genetics to the forefront, noticing that in cannabis genetic, it's all about the genetics and that unlike uh, the alcohol or the um, tobacco industry where consumers tend to find their product and that one taste profile and they stick to that for, you know, that becomes their uh, uh, con daily consumption or uh, con uh, what did this, sorry, where they pr purchase uh, more often. Um, so in cannabis, what we notice and what I noticed from early on is we don't, consumers are not they, yes, they do like their, their one type of genetic, but they always want to find more. They want to explore more. There's so many possibilities. And once you uh, break that barrier of good quality cannabis of saying, okay, you've grown it right, then and you, then there's so many um, different formulations and, and combinations that, that consumers want to explore. So that's what tribal is, is just focus on really rare, cool genetics, bring, out, bring them out into easy to consume formats. Uh, focus on you know the harvest dates, the terpenes, the THC content, um, and then and then give that what what I like and what I'm bringing is tribal is going to offer it in 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 all the forms that you can consume. So let's say we have our gelato mint, which is one of our genetic our, our staple genetics. Gelato mint, you'll be able to go to the store and buy it in a three and a half or a fifteen gram dried format. You'll be able to buy it in pre roll format. You'll be able to buy it in concentrate format, or you'll be able to buy it in vape 
format. So then when you come to tribal, you'll have eight to 10 different genetics and across all four or five formats. Um, and that really gives that choice exploration to consumers. Then you have our uh, Nugs brand. Um, and that's really, that's one that's more fun or more uh, really the grassroots culture. Uh, again, we don't differentiate product quality. So, uh, you know, every, all the cannabis that's produced in our facility is produced in the same way. And it's put into our brands in the same fashion. So even though um, uh, pricing might differ between the brands, it's not it's not based on quality. It's based on other metrics such as format. So in, in Nugs, um, you'll be able to uh, uh, pay a bit cheaper than the product in Tribal, not compromising quality, but you're paying for you're, you're only going to be able to buy 28 grams of cannabis instead of 3.5 grams of cannabis. So that's where Nugs comes into play and uh, really bringing that bigger formats, uh, more funner culture. Uh, you know, we can rotate genetics without being married to a genetic while Tribo tries to really bring that genetic to the forefront. Nugs can be playful with that genetic, um, offer, you know, easy to use formats, bulk formats. So we have a bunch of, uh, uh, we have a, a skew where you have 12 pre-rolls or 14 pre-rolls and a nice, easy to consume bag. Um, and we'll also house our sol solventless products. So our hash our hash rosin uh, and different uh, solventless products. And then our final brand is Orchid CBD. Uh, Orchid CBD is really focused on, on CBD-based products. So we have one uh, genetic in there called CBD runs in dried flower and pre-roll format. Um, and we're also introducing some CBD oils, um, different ratios CBD THC for that, uh, for that product line. And uh, really geared on bringing CBD to the forefront with quality. Um, we noticed that there's not a lot of CBD products on market, a lot of unique CBD products on market. And that's where uh, Orchid will, will, will stay away from THC, but bring that tribal and Nugs quality of products, but focused on the CBD side of things. I want to talk about your facility and your, your facilities and your strategy for growth. So you just recently... Uh, well, in the last year, um, purchased uh, a really amazing facility from the Green Organic Dutchman. Can you talk a little bit about that particular facility and, and how you expect to bring that online? Yeah, absolutely. So that was a, that was a great acquisition on our part. Um, one of our challenges uh, uh, in 2021 was we had no inventory. We had trouble catering to demand. Um, which was a good problem to have, but we, we, you know, we, we knew that we were leaving money on the table and we had to, ex, you know, we have to uh, grow exponentially quickly uh, and properly. Right. Um, and timing was right. Uh, there was a, a, a sale of the green organic Dutchman's uh, 1 million square foot purpose built cannabis facility. Um, they built it for over 250 million, but um, they had to, to sell it. We bought it for 27 million. Um, so we got a great discount on it. And the best thing is, is that it's in Quebec. Um, again, from what I told you before, lowest cost of production in, in cannabis, uh, in cannabis is electricity and labor. And we have it in Quebec and it's an hour away from our, our old facility. So it was, it was, we couldn't ask for honestly more. Um, it, you know, we, we, we bought it on the discount an hour away from our facility purpose built. So we're not talking about a greenhouse that was retrofitted from tomato cultivation going into, uh, into, uh, into cannabis. This is, uh, you know, Netherlands, German engineering, um, uh, cannabis built facility, purpose built facility. And, uh, tied to what I said before, we're indoor growers, we're, we're focused on quality. Um, so when we saw a greenhouse, we were a bit, you know, 
holding our our our, our mouth where we knew that this was a good deal, but it's a greenhouse and, you know, greenhouses from what we know can't grow good cannabis or premium quality cannabis. Um, but when both the CEO and myself went into the facility, saw the level of detail, the level of work, the equipment, the amount of money that was spent on the facility for cannabis production, um, we looked left and right and up and down on the facility. And the only thing that we saw different from our current indoor facility that was generating quality that our consumers are loving was the, the roof. Um, the roof just had light in it. It, it, you know, it had glass and, you know, the sun was penetrating through it. Um, Can you also talk but, about the size of this thing? Because it is, and we'll yeah, include well, okay. a picture, but like, it is ridiculous. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. So it's a million square feet. It's a million square feet. Um, 24 zones of 25,000 square feet um, uh, built are like they're ready to go. Um, but just tying to what I was just saying is that when we looked up and down, the only difference was the roof. Um, so we decided to buy it, um, but not use it as a greenhouse. Uh, and I think we might be the only cannabis companies to buy <laughs> a greenhouse and not use it as a greenhouse, but we did. And, and we shut off the, uh, we shut off the, we tinted the, the, the lights. Uh, we put the blackout curtains, we doubled the amount of LED lights, we changed some mechanics. So there's some additional CapEx costs that we're incurring to redesign the rooms. But now we have a, you know, we have a million square foot indoor facility that we're currently uh, cultivating out of. And uh, we bought that in June. We got licensed uh, in September. So two months after, three months after. Uh, we planted our first crop in November. We just harvested our first crop in February. We achieved a 26% THC gelato mint, highest, uh, I believe I have to confirm, but I think it's the highest gelato mint uh, THC rating uh, to date. Um, so we're extremely happy with the results. We've already planted rooms two and three. So that's 75,000 square feet of grow space currently activated. And to give perspective, my current whole operation right now that I'm currently, uh, last year I was currently catering to Quebec is about 30,000 square feet of cultivation. Um, so every room that we turn on is, is, is pretty much our whole Farnham facility uh, getting turned on in terms of production capability. And Farnham facility is the your existing facility. I don't think people will know the name that particular name. Sorry, okay. yeah, cor so correct. Farnham, Farnham facility is, is your you're the new one you have now. Valley Field is the new. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, Farnham is our six hundred twenty-five thousand square foot facility. We have one hundred seventy thousand square feet that's per, uh, built for cannabis production with thirty to forty thousand square feet of cultivation space. The rest of the uh, space is drying rooms, production rooms, processing rooms, which a lot of LPs. Uh, failed to build. Um, so we built that um, in mind and now we're using, we're leveraging that structure for the cultivation at Valleyfield. So we don't have to build more infrastructure at Valleyfield. Valleyfield just becomes a place for cultivating and using that uh, square footage for cultivation space while using our indoor processing center to hang dry our crop. Again, we're probably one of the few companies that are going to hang dry a 25,000 square foot room and hand trim it, <laughs> hand trim a 25,000 square foot room and sell it for $24, uh, a three and a half. It just sounds like you guys are just producing a ton of flour. And uh, I, I got to get up there and, and check this out at some point just to, to really grasp what a million square feet actually is of, of growing potential there. But um, it, when you were going through the brands Green and, Rush and just field talk, trip, let's do it. Yeah, Green Rush <laughs> field trip. I'm for it. But so, Nick, you're going through the brands. You're talking about the the massive amount of flour they have to to meet the consumer demand. 
I think it's really interesting because when we've talked with other Canadian operators, you know, they've been shifting their focus away from cultivation towards consumer packaged goods. But it seems like you guys are really in on flour first and foremost. You mentioned some, you know, some concentrate and, and hash products. But, you know, why do you think or why do you guys believe, I guess, that flour is the should be the focus right now versus, like, say, branching out into more edible products? Right. So uh, there is definitely a trend. Um, and that's just, you know, in line with first movers uh, getting into the industry, the, fir- uh, uh, the first entrance of L- LPs, right? They built the comp- they built their companies, they got really big, really diversified, they had cultivation, they had all things going on for them. One thing they quickly realized is cultivation is not easy. To grow premium quality product, you have to be dedicated, you have to focus your, your attention on that cultivation. And I believe that all these big LPs grew too fast and grew too quickly. And now they are, uh, they have to make a decision. And a lot of them are making the move to CPG, um, relying on the industry to source the, the, the cannabis products. But there's a gap here, right? There's a gap where we know right now that the industry is not able to produce premium quality cannabis at scale. There's a lot, there's not a lot of producers um, like myself and ourselves. We're not in the market for wholesaling. We're market for selling, you know, building our brands. So if you look in the market, um, which LPs are out there that are focused on cannabis cultivation for wholesale at quality, um, there's not much. Um, so I, 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 I'm, I'm seeing a hole in the strategy that they're implementing um, with the shift to CPG and, you know, they're, they're shifting to CPG, they're building brands just like other industries where there's a low value, high value, high quality, low quality, mid quality. But I, I think they're, they're underestimating the supply chain and the ability to source all those types of different products at different pricings and, 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 and matching that quality to their brands if they're not controlling the process. Um, so we saw, we, we saw that we couldn't rely on other people to, to, to give value to our brands. Um, and that's why we decided to control the vertical and control our, uh, our cannabis production. Um, so I think flour, I mean, flour will always reign supreme. You need flour to produce all your other concentrate products, right? So, you know, so, uh, for us, it, it was all around flour. If you can't build flour, you can't build good concentrate products. It's, I mean, the, in the industry, it's called fire in, fire out. If you don't put good quality product in your concentrates or in your derivative products or in your pre-rolls or in your vapes, you're going to get sub-quality product out. Um, so I knew that from the very beginning and it all stemmed from growing the best cannabis you can do. Uh, you can, you can grow yourself, right? What's your favorite? Cannabis? Yeah. Genetic? Yeah. Um, can you say well, you honesty, have a favorite? They're all your babies. I do, I, I do. But again, like I'm, I'm, I'm the epitome of cannabis. Like we, we do have our favorites. You come to it, but you like exploration. You want to find that new genetic, that new turf profile. Everything else has. Once you've surpassed quality of grow, um, there's just so much differentiation between products that uh, you, you like that exploration, right? But. Uh, for me, it's got to be our Cuban Links uh, under the tribal brand, uh, Cuban Links. It smells magical. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the, uh, I think especially for for the U.S. investor and um, just interested party, um, understanding how 
interprovincial um, commerce works. Um, so how how can you expand um, using what you've learned in, in Quebec and and you know to these other um, provinces and and still compete on on the cost and quality? Right. So that's that's our objective for 2022, 2023. I mean, we're 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 focused on executing our our valley field operations, so growing those 24 uh, grow rooms. Uh, you know, we know Quebec is uh, eventually going to have enough of our product, and we have to go to uh, Ontario and the rest of the markets. We're already established; we have a foothold in Ontario and Saskatchewan, product selling uh, uh, in there, but really low volume, just because we had to put ninety percent, ninety-five percent of our supply to to uh, Quebec. But uh, as we turn on Valleyfield, that that um, ratio is is going to change. We've already we're already four xing our orders um, in OCS starting March. Uh, with a bunch of new SKUs going into uh, Ontario OCS uh, in 2022. Um, but, and I, I mean, we're going to establish our sales team. We're going to do the marketing outreach. Uh, there, there's a, definitely a lot more flexibility in terms of marketing that we can do uh, in these provinces. Um, but I think the, again, our high value proposition that we've seen here in Quebec without any marketing I've already seen the effect in Ontario and Saskatchewan with no marketing, right? Every retailer I go into in Ontario or I call, they know our product. And I sell what 200 cans a week in Ontario and they know our product. They know they want they want a tribal and nugs and orchid CBD to come to their store and do a pop-up event. And, and every every retailer I've spoken to knows our product. Um, I get emails every day from random people, random stores saying, we love your product. And that's zero marketing. Um, we're we're about to turn on that marketing funnel. We're about to reduce our price even more in Ontario, um, and we're about to, you know, 10x, 20x our volume in Ontario. So, hopefully, that strategy of all three pieces uh, align and uh, can get us a market share that we're looking for. Is there any anticipation that the near future could see a change on those marketing restrictions? Like it seems really just strange that you know you guys have such restrictions on what you can do with marketing how you can build your brands like when you say that you're going to turn on more marketing what does that look like given how strict the restrictions are so for us quebec is is the epitome of strictness right so for us when i say turn on marketing is because i have zero marketing like what we've achieved right now is zero marketing uh, other than you know having a brand developer creating the brands and the packaging um, so zero marketing has done been done on our brands today, uh, and we already have you know the traction that we do have. Um, so when I say turn on marketing, it's turn on marketing on the rest of Canada because there is a marketing ability in the rest of Canada. Um, you can promote your product. You can be you can make uh, you know apparel product. You can send uh, you can send t shirt. Sorry, you can send you know, displays to stores. You can walk up to stores and pitch your product and give them your sell sheets and, and do that, which is all we're asking for. Right. Um, and so you guys can't, you guys can't see him, but he's in this bright, awesome yellow shirt, which is very indicative of the brand of nugs. Um, his office oh, yeah, is amazing. <laughs> yeah. We need a picture of your office. Um, but, but I mean that that's really like the only thing that you can be like promoting in Quebec is this like vibrant color. Right. So like, how are you, you know, creatively looking to communicate that brand across provinces? 
well, we can get more creative. That's that's what I'm saying. In in in, in Quebec, we had to rely on you know the packaging. Uh, we had to rely on that's it. You know, <laughs> having a neon sign like this uh, outside <laughs> the window, like even in our office, <laughs> it has to be inside my office, not seen by anyone, right? Um, if it was oh, on really? the outside of the really? yeah, if it was on, on the outside of the window, uh, would that would be illegal here? Oh, <laughs> but my not in God. Ontario, okay. not in the rest of Canada, right? So that's what I'm saying is that there's there's a lot of restrictions here in Quebec. The, for me, the restrictions in the rest of the country are are nothing. But uh, it's a it's a it's a whole playground to play for uh, for me to play with. Like when I go to Toronto, it's it's a whole different world. And then when I I see what we achieved here in Quebec with absolutely nothing, without having that culture and that brand and that brand push, it makes me super super confident that uh, you know our strategy will work in the rest of Canada because now we have another tool to use. Well, I want to shift to, or not shift, but continue looking forward for you guys. You you mentioned turning on Valley Field. You mentioned expanding to these different markets. You know, when you go into a conversation with an investor, what do you what excites you the most about what's going to happen over the next ten months for the Canera brand? Yeah, ten months in this industry is like a week, <laughs> but. Um, <Yeah. laughs> uh, for us, for Canera, it's really execution. Like we just bought a huge facility. Um, we're, we're every room we turn on is essentially doubling our growth, right? So it, it's a huge um, jump start from where we are. And by end of 2022, um, you know, we hope to be on the map, right? Um, the top top cannabis companies in Canada. Um, you know, not a lot of people heard about us, but we've we've stayed low. We've we've done you know we've done our work. We hit our milestones. We're scooping assets on the cheap. Um, and, and we're executing We're we're our strategy is focused. We're targeting, uh, all the markets in Canada. Uh, we're building brands. We want to be Canada's number one cannabis brand. And, and that's my focus. I don't want to go to the, the States yet. So, uh, unfortunately investors who are looking to us to expand into, uh, the U S, uh, you know, in the next 10 months is not, is not, on, is not on the plate, um, even Europe, but we see an opportunity to grab, to become Canada's darlings, uh, cannabis company, to grab a significant market share that really um, gives value to investors and Canara. You know, that's a strategy for the next two, two years to really build our, our 24 grow rooms and get that up and running and get the distribution networks and build the branding, build consumer following, get all our products sold. And, and I think, I think being Canada's number one company, a profitable company, an operation that can grow cannabis at scale uh, um, uh, with premium brands, um, you know, I think it'll be an opportunity for Canara to then go into other markets, right? Take that brand, take that know-how and just, you know, knock it out of the park in the markets that because we built the structure, we built the operation. Now we can go into other markets and, and really offer our products and brands. It seems like Canera sits at this really interesting point in um, the Canadian landscape in that you're learning from from the mistakes of the big LPs um, where it was a land grab and, all, you know, you're you're kind of learning from the mistakes of of your elders, um, you know, so to speak. I mean, you're a young guy, but, you know, <laughs> and I don't know how old your elders are, but, um, you know, I guess if you could look down the line three years from now, um, you know, where is Canera? Is it like, you know, you, you're saying your, your, your near term goals are, are Canada. Um, long term goals. Are you international? Are you North American? Are you like, you know, like, yeah, where so are you? We'd like to, 
we like to not dream here at Canada. We like to be focused and have a focused strategy and not get too derailed off, off our focus, right? So the immediate need, the immediate goal strategy is really focused on Canada and taking Canada. But we we know we know what we can do and what we're building in Canada, right? We know that that there's so much opportunity in the US. I mean, it's it's incredible the opportunity in the US, right? But we don't want to be the first movers in the US either, right? We don't want to, we we don't want to replicate that same mistake. And and I think they're gonna get replicated until the markets uh, you know, it federally legalizes and it disestablishes. There's still gonna be a lot of crazy things going on that we have an opportunity here in Canada to focus on and grab and earn. Right. So um, let's, let's be successful at that. Let's have uh, the least amount of risks possible to, uh, to hinder that strategy, execute that strategy, be Canada's darling. And, and then from there, you know, build the rest of uh, the operation. Um, Canara is not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. A CEO is not going anywhere. That's not a company that, we're looking to uh, to to. Uh, it's really a company that we're looking to build. Nick, I got one more question for you before uh, we let you go, and it's one of the, the the questions that we like to run by most of our guests. But it's really, what is one of the stories that you think is not being told in the industry right now? Like, if you were going to open up the Globe and Mail or the Journal de Montreal, what story would you like to be told that you don't think is getting enough attention? Our story, <laughs> <laughs> our story. I mean, if you ask me directly, I'd say our story because we're, you know, we're not all on the map. We're, we're, we're we've been, we've kept our heads low. Um, you know, I'm not investing a lot in, 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 in bringing the brands out because we're folk, we're focused on executing and, and all our dollars and cents is going on execution. And I don't, we, you know, we have our heads down, our pens, our pens down. So, um, that's what, if, you know, if I had an opportunity to put uh, on the Global Mail, I'd definitely put uh, Canara and what we're doing and how we're going to take over uh, the Canadian cannabis uh, in the short term. Um, Anything industry focused, though? Industry focused. Uh, I think, you know, I, I do see, a you know, that what we talked about earlier about that shift to CPG and that and, and you know, all these LPs, there's not many cultivators left. Like I, I see that really becoming an issue in the next couple of months uh, or year uh, where, you know, all these companies are trying to build these brands. And at, at one point there's not going to be any cultivation left and there's going to be a few players and then prices are going to change. It's going to reflip the market the other way. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely something to, uh, to look out for. Um and then just the merges and acquisitions, right? The like you see what's happening in in the Canadian cannabis. You have the first movers, uh, companies that establish the, the the industry, and then you have the second movers that come in and kind of learn through them. They're they're losing market share, right? Those first movers are losing market share every quarter. Uh, the second waves are getting it, right? So the first movers, what they're doing is they're going to go through merges and acquisitions, acquire second wave producers or smaller scales, and try to grow uh, that way. Um, the issue I think is a lot of the good second wave producers that, you know, should have an acquisition target on their back are not looking to sell because they have the opportunity to grab the market share. Right. Um, so it's going to be an interesting shakedown. Um, but I think, uh, at the end of the day, there's just going to be a couple of LPs 
that really control the market, the uh, lower segment, the mid segment, and then you'll have the craft, a couple of craft producers that are able to cater to the uh, ultra craft uh, high end market. Well, I think it'll be incredibly interesting to have you on in another six months or so and see how you guys are doing, lighting up these new rooms um, and, and starting to, you know, make your march across, across Canada. So Nick, thank you so much for your time. Um, it was really great talking to you and uh, hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely. No, thank you very much for having me in your time. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Canera Biotech and Nick Sosiak, uh, the company's CFO. To keep up with Canera in 2022, check them out at canera.ca. That's C-A-N-N-A-R-A dot C-A. And on Twitter at Canera Biotech. They also have the very fun ticker on the TSX of love. So go check out some love. Um, as always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, please find us on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram, the Green Rush underscore podcast, or we love your emails, greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback and guest ideas. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. It's one take, Shay. One take. It really was one take.